This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 165. Hello, Metamorphs. Welcome to another episode of The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamorph City story universe. You can learn more about me at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you, available in audio for the first time anywhere. So let's get started with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 23 of my Metamorph City novel, The Lost and the Least. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 143 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Metamore City Police Detective Catherine Catane has been on administrative leave for more than a month. After shooting a vampire's thrall in a terrifying battle under the Citadel, Kate was judged unfit for duty by her police psychologist, Dr. Jared Tamlin. Kate's captain, Joe Montgomery, pleaded with her to give her therapy time and to trust the system. But when a string of murder-kidnapping struck the city, Kate ran out of patience. She accepted a meeting with Captain Rowan Shaw, the androgyne head of the Elite Special Investigations Division. Shaw invited Kate to transfer to SID, promising that they would get her back in service. Eager to do her part to stop the killings, Kate accepted. In last week's episode, SID sent Jared a records request, telling him that Katane was no longer under his supervision. Jared filed a formal protest with the Director of Psychological Services, then went to SID to make his case directly to Captain Shaw. Shaw appreciated Jared's concern for his patient, but they raised an uncomfortable possibility. If Kate has shown no progress in more than a month of therapy, then maybe Jared's approach is the problem. Shaw tells Jared that Kate isn't like other police officers. Whether she realizes it or not, she's a warrior— and warriors process trauma differently from other people. As far as the captain is concerned, SID is locked in a war with the forces of criminality and chaos, and they need every able-bodied warrior they can get to fight it. Jared warns Shaw that they're not doing Kate any favors. If she goes back in the field now, she's going to get herself killed. Shaw acknowledges this is a possibility, but if you keep your warriors off the field because they might die then you lose the war. Soon after this, Kate herself went back to SID, where Shaw gave her a quick tour of their top-of-the-line facilities. Shaw then introduced her to her new partner, Corporal Elizabeth Moore of the Missing Persons section. Lizzie is a theriamorph woman with the form of a snow leopard, but more surprising than that is the posh accent she speaks with. Lizzie is a Skywalker, a member of the elite class of Metamore society. She invites Kate to join her for lunch, where they can get to know each other better. The Lost and the Least A novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester 
Chapter 23 Kate and Lizzie took lunch at a small third-level sandwich shop across the skyway from Justice Tower. The place was already packed from the lunch rush. There were plenty of seats out on the plaza, but in deference to Lizzie's thick arctic fur, they braved the crowd and squeezed into a spot in back, next to the air conditioner. Lizzie leaned back into the jet of cold air and sighed in relief. "'That coat's gonna kill you come July,' Kate said. "'By July I'll have shed the undercoat,' Lizzie said. "'My body's not completely maladapted to seasons. It's just on a different timetable.' "'There's always the groomers,' Kate suggested, with an impish grin. "'They could take it all down to, what, half a centimeter? What do you say?' "'Oh, gods,' Lizzie groaned. "'It'd look ridiculous.' Beauty or comfort, Kate agreed. We've been playing that stupid game since before there was a curse. Lizzie conceded this with a tilt of her head. Then she leaned forward, took a long sip of her iced tea, and smiled enigmatically at Kate. So, go ahead and ask. I know you're thinking it. Thinking what? Kate asked, innocently. Lizzie's lips gained an ironic twist. The same thing that everyone on the force has asked me. Oh, that. Kate hesitated. Look, it's not a big deal. I work with all kinds of people. Lizzie held up a hand. Just ask, Lieutenant. Kate sighed. Okay, fine. You're obviously a Skywalker. More isn't any noble house I've ever heard of, but everything about you screams true blood. So where did you come from? And why are you slumming it with skags like us? Lizzie chuckled, surprising Kate again with the richness of the sound. I was born here in Metamore, she said. My birth mother is a knight of the Red Stallion. Her wife is a professor of macroeconomics. She's the chair of the International Development Council at Chisholm University. Then she fell silent, watching Kate expectantly. Kate nodded thoughtfully. The Knights of the Red Stallion were the oldest chivalric order in Metamore City, sworn to the Dukes of House Hassan. Hassan wasn't just nobility. They had been the ruling family of Metamore, until a child heir ceded her sovereignty to Kaya a thousand years ago. When the knighthood gave way to a professional military, the Red Stallions became a public service organization, working to advance the Metamorian values of justice, democracy, tolerance, and free expression all over the world. And the fact that Lizzie had just told Kate who her parents were was obviously intended as a clue. All right, so let's see here, Kate said. A red stallion marries a professor of economic development. That probably means they met through work, trying to put some broken part of the world back together again. Kate paused. Lizzie gave her a fractional nod. You're highly educated, your manners are flawless, but you're not haughty. I'm thinking you grew up in an international school, in one of the places your moms were helping. In several, actually, Lizzie said. I'd lived in a dozen countries before the age of ten. The schools are all much the same, though. Kate nodded again, thinking about what else Lizzie had told her. You came back here for uni, probably Chisholm. You've obviously got the brains for it, and the connections— the whole world can see you're from Metamore, but you'd never lived here long enough to know what that meant. So you came back to understand where you came from. 
Lizzie waggled her eyebrows, saying nothing, but her tail was flicking back and forth in slow, interested waves. You want to help people, Kate said. She was leaning forward now, too, absorbed in the game, her eyes scanning Lizzie's whole body for every tick and tell. It's in your blood, the way you were raised, but you don't want to do the kind of high-level, top-down work your parents are doing. No, you could do that, but it doesn't excite you. You're an emotional person. You want a hands-on connection with flesh-and-blood people. Kate made another connection to something Shaw had said earlier. You started out in Fugitive Enforcement Division, busting cold cases. You like puzzles, hard ones, but you want to see how you make a difference. The last piece fell into place. And that's why you moved to missing persons. You don't just want to bring bad guys to justice. You want to help save their victims before it's too late. Lizzie's teeth bared in a grin. Her blue eyes sparkled. Very nicely done, detective. And one more thing, Kate said, pointing a finger at her. You're really smart, and you don't want to waste your energy getting close to somebody who's not at least roughly on your level. Lizzie laughed wickedly again. Je suis coupable, mademoiselle. I will not deny it. Well, I'm glad I proved myself worthy to associate with your vast intellect. Kate said it in a gentle, teasing tone, but Lizzie still flinched a little. Kate suspected that some of her past associates had not been so understanding of her sense of superiority, especially if she'd gone to Chisholm and been surrounded by the children of much wealthier and more powerful families. To smooth over the moment, Kate asked, So how long have you been on the force? Just under two years, Lizzie said. I graduated in June of 98. Got it. Kate did some backwards counting. So you're, what, 24? Lizzie ducked her head. Uh, 22, actually. Kate stared. 22? No way. Afraid so, Lizzie said. I finished high school and uni both a year early. Kate shook her head in disbelief. Still, though, didn't you want to take a gap year or something? See the world? Lizzie rolled her eyes. I've spent my entire life seeing the world, Lieutenant. What I hadn't seen was the city whose magic was inside me before I could walk. She spread her hands, gesturing at her own fur-covered body. Mom and Mum didn't raise me to go gallivanting off to temples on distant mountains on some kind of self-serving introspective vision quest. I've lived a life of almost incomprehensible privilege. Wealth, connections, knowledge, innate talent, diverse experiences. If I don't use those advantages to give back, to help others, then I am stealing from a world that impoverished others so that I could have plenty. She shrugged and somehow she made even that look elegant. There was a job that needed doing. It was time for me to stop doing it. Kate held her gaze for a long, silent moment. Lizzie gazed back at her, unblinking. Finally, Kate shook her head again. Are you for real? Lizzie gave her another thin, enigmatic smile. You're the illusionist. You tell me. Kate barked a laugh. Lizzie, I think I'm going to like having you as a partner. She extended her arms, palms up. Lizzie placed her own arms over Kate's, and their hands closed around each other's forearms. I think so as well, Kate.
The SID briefing was held in the same large conference room where Shaw had shown Kate the criminal organization chart of the syndicate. Malcolm's smiling face looked down from the wall as Kate and the other SID officers filed in, taking their seats around the long table. Kate felt like the vampire's eyes were following her. Shaw stood in front of the whiteboard, her hands on her hips, her hazel eyes scanning the faces of her troops. She looked like a cat on the hunt, her wiry, athletic frame taut with tightly controlled energy. The last SID officer entered the room and shut the door behind him. He gave Shaw a thumbs up. Boys and girls, we have a new player on the field, Shaw said. She opened a briefcase on the table in front of her, which contained a file folder stuffed with photographs. She walked over to a blank section of the whiteboard and started putting them up, holding them in place with magnets. Some of the pictures were autopsy photos from the files Kate had gathered. Others were photos of gang tags, a spider whose body was a number eight, spider webs, often painted over the red bats that were a common tag for syndicate-allied gangs, the number eight, written in Sweelman numerals, V-I-I-I, and the phrase, Widow Weaves. All of the tags were spray-painted in white. We've been seeing these tags for the last few months, Shaw said. We didn't have any context for them. That's changed. She turned back to face the group. According to our friends in the Lightbringers, Malcolm Ardvalos himself has admitted there's a new organization out there. Someone his people can't subvert or kill or control. The alias behind this group is someone, or something, called the White Widow. She took a dry erase marker and wrote at the top of the whiteboard, White Widow? Question mark. She underlined the words twice. Now, he could be lying, Shaw said, but we've had a number of clues lately that things aren't going Malcolm's way on the street. Violence is up between gangs. There are a lot more heavy weapons for sale. Street prices for rain, brimstone, and heroin are all way down, which tells us someone's flooding the market. Whoever the White Widow is, they're attacking syndicate operations from the ground up. One of the SID officers, a counter-terrorism expert named Ryan Barker, snorted a laugh. Could, he said. If somebody wants to go after Malcolm, I'll give him my mags and point him at Valos Tower. There were murmurs of agreement around the room. Unfortunately, that isn't an option here, Shaw said. She pointed at the autopsy photos. These Vicks weren't syndicate operators. They were ordinary citizens. Our newest officer, Kate Katane, brought us some intel from her friends over in Precinct 9. Somebody's been kidnapping people off the street and sacrificing them for some kind of black magic incantation. The last group to go missing was a van full of Malcolm's whores. Shaw pulled out the DMV report on the missing van and stuck it up on the board next to the photographs. One of the other officers muttered a curse under his breath. Malcolm's not going to let that stand, he said, as soon as he finds out who's behind it. We'll have an open war on our hands, Shaw agreed. One that will make these gang skirmishes look like a bunch of kids playing Lord of the Castle. We need to find out who the White Widow is, and shut down their operation before it comes to that. There were a few scattered grumbles. Malcolm gets away again, Barker muttered. Malcolm isn't getting away with anything, Shaw said sternly. 
She pointed over her shoulder at the smug bastard's smiling face up on the wall. He is still P.E. 1. If we get a shot at him, we're going to take it. But we don't need some group of gutter-crawling skags to do our work for us. She turned in a slow half-circle, locking eyes with each one of them as she spoke. You are the best of the best, boys and girls. If you're in this room, it's because I chose you to be here. You're the best hope we have to take this city back from the monsters, to put it back in the hands of good, decent, hard-working people. She spread her hands to her sides, encompassing the entire crew. Who are we? S.I.D. Hoorah! The response was immediate, a call and response that sounded from every other officer in the room, except Kate, who hadn't known what was coming. Who are we? Shaw said again, louder. S.I.D. Hoorah! The group shouted back. This time, Kate said it with them. Shaw's eyes flicked briefly over to Kate, and the captain smiled, giving her a tiny nod of approval. Our first step is intel, Shaw said. Counterterrorism section. Find out how they're getting these weapons past customs. Worldnet, you're on the money trail. Major theft? Arson? Investigate the hits on syndicate holdings. Missing persons? Find out where they're taking these victims. Air unit, you're on a three-shift, 24-hour patrol. If any firefights break out between the whites and the reds, I want SWAT teams scrambled to arrest everyone involved. The rest of you are on SIGINT. If you pick up transmissions of anything that could be enemy action, send a team to investigate. Shaw scanned the room again, apparently waiting for questions. There were none. After a moment, she said, All right, your section heads have the details on your assignments. Let's get out there and catch these bastards. Dismissed. The group broke up quickly and efficiently, with each section head signaling to his or her subordinates and leading them away for further instructions. Kate turned to Lizzie. Who's our section head? You don't have one yet, Shaw said. Missing persons has been through a shake-up lately. Varley and Brannigan ran the section for twenty years, Lizzie said. They both retired about a month after they trained me. For now, you two work as a team and report directly to me, Shaw said. Kate nodded once. Can do. What's our plan of attack, Captain? Patrol services called in another DB this morning in Precinct 1, Shaw said. Looks like the same MO. Take a light flyer and go check it out. FID is sending an examiner, but I want you there first, in case there's an arcane signal on the body. Got it, boss. Kate hesitated. But, uh, I'm still technically on leave. Shaw smiled. Then she lifted up the stack of papers in the briefcase and pulled out a badge and a service pistol. Not anymore, you're not. Dr. Bronson cleared you over lunch. She held them out to Kate, one in each hand. Congratulations, Lieutenant. You're police again. And that's the end of Chapter 23. Come back next time when Kate and Lizzie investigate their first case together and find an unexpected connection to Lizzie's past. Ray Bradbury said, I don't need an alarm clock. My ideas wake me. So I hope you all got a good night's sleep because it's time to check in on my writing endeavors. Here's your weekly writing report.
I wrote 3,559 words this week, over the course of five hours, for an average writing speed of 712 words per hour. I wrote on six out of seven days this week. As of Saturday afternoon, when I'm finishing this script, I have gone 15 days without breaking my chain. For those who started listening to this podcast recently, that means that for 15 straight days, I've spent time every day working on my writing, or the podcast, or both. Now that I actually have a chain to keep going, I went back to the Magic Spreadsheet this week. That's a shared Google spreadsheet, where authors from all over the world get together to log their daily writing efforts. It's a wonderful public accountability tool and one that I haven't been using since the beginning of April, because I haven't been able to get a consistent daily writing habit going. It feels so, so good to be back on those charts again. This week I continued working on Homecoming. I have no idea how long this story is going to be, but I'm already over 5,000 words. This story is my chance to get to know Kate's family, to see the place where she comes from, and to see the way her and John's relationship develops when they aren't surrounded by life-or-death emergencies. In an odd way, I think this may end up being almost an adventure romance, a little like the Incubus books by A. H. Lee. If you haven't read that series yet, I strongly recommend them, even if you're not into romance. They're full of fun adventures and sweet relationships between likable characters— With all of the darkness going on in the world lately, those books have been a balm for my soul, so I guess it's not surprising that I'm channeling that vibe in a story of my own. Over on the Patreon feed, I have a poll up right now for my patrons about the the behind-the-episode author commentaries. If you're a patron and you haven't been to the page in a while, I'd appreciate it if you'd head over to patreon.com slash author chris lester and answer a quick little one-question survey. And while you're there, if you're a patron at the $3 a month level or higher, you can check out the preview of Carol Foote's next piece of bonus art. If you aren't a member of my Patreon campaign yet, it's the single best way to support this podcast and help me to keep making it. This show takes between 5 and 7 hours of work to produce every week, and by chipping in a few bucks to my campaign, you're saying, Hey Chris, thanks for what you do. Keep it up. Every pledge makes a difference, and if you subscribe at the $3 a month level, you can get art previews, sneak peeks, and other cool stuff, along with the monthly bonus art that every patron gets. Again, that's at patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. And if you're already a patron, thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and my Mastodon handle is at AuthorChrisLester at Wandering.shop. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a big difference in helping people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out.
The contents of this podcast are copyright 2018 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.